chapter 33 of Gold Cord by Amy Carmichael. And this is the prelude to chapter 33. By faith we pass beyond the utmost range of sight to act in faith, whether the action be of thought or of feeling, within our own heart or in relation to others, is to venture beyond what sight will warrant, to let go the obvious and tangible supports to which we might cling within a closely bounded field, and to commit ourselves to principles which sense cannot certify, to lines of action on which sense will not accompany us, to a sustaining power which sense has never promised. Bishop Paget. Lord Jesus, I ask thee, give unto me movement in thy love without measure, desire without limit, longing without order, burning without discretion. Truly, the better the love of thee is, the greedier it is. For neither by reason is it restrained, nor by dread thronged, nor by doom tempted. That's Richard Brole, who lived from 1290 to 1349, and that was from The Fire of Love and the Mending of Life. So chapter 33, Transparent Incidents. And after we had found the boys, all was not plain sailing. Sometimes we had three or four who were in need of skilled treatment. Napur was always willing to help us, but once, for some reason, it was impossible to go there, and we tried another house of kindness and Madura, two days' journey distant. We had by this time the great help of our VAD, Mary Mills, who took the little party. It was strange to be taking a baby boy to that city, famed for its underworld life of both temple and drama. The boy was the one for whom a hundred pounds had been offered to us when he was an infant. He was one year old then. There were men in that city who would have given much more to get him. Such a charge is no small responsibility, and we kept the shield of prayer around him all the time, asking that no superior relatives should suddenly emerge. We had sent two little girls to that hospital once, and they had been tracked, so there was cause for care. Arul Dasan was one of the party, and his little son David, whose mother is the jewel for whom that long fight was fought in the law courts, which ended in an order going forth from the courts of heaven that canceled the order given in the court of Tinevelli. Arul Dasan was not quite fit himself but he had said nothing about that, and it was left to the doctor to discover that he needed to have a slight, thought-painful operation. But he had gone to help, not to be ill, and he earnestly tried to persuade the doctor to do it without an anesthetic so that he might not have to take a day off to recover. He could never understand why the doctor decidedly refused. All went well with the babies and with Arul Dasan too, and they returned in safety to find us in the midst of one of those confused times that comes in every work where there are too few workers to do all that must be done. Several were away on furlough or on holiday, and naturally there was some pressure. But one day, 
a very throng day, this rested us. The Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means, peace at all times, in all ways, peace continually, whatever comes, peace in every sense, peace always under all conditions. And go amidst the whirling is Wordsworth's translation of Ezekiel 10.2. Just then, it was the word to us. But what a difference it makes if, when we have to go amidst the whirling of the busy wheels of life, we find peace waiting there for us. Meanwhile, the life of the day went on with its decisions and provisions. We were building new nurseries and in those days had no one to advise or superintend them. So to build meant many labors. But as we have told elsewhere, nor script tells most of this, there were such continual touches of our Lord upon the common work of our hands, such manifold helps, that the last of the first set of boys' nurseries was gratefully named Answered Prayer. In looking through our private records to find the transparent incidents of the time that let the spiritual situation appear, I have come upon one, a note in an old journal torn up for the most part. It belongs to that same year, 1920, which began in straightness and a general uncertainty about the future. For if the exchange fell further, who could say what would happen? We had all along thought of whatever funds were entrusted to us as intended for the children only. Nothing had been used for English workers. All who had joined us, either had enough to live on without charge to the work or had friends who supplied their needs. But now offers began to come from some whose circumstances were different, and this opened a new question. What did our Father wish to be done about it? Understanding what the will of the Lord is, Lord, give thy servant an understanding heart. These words and others like them were much with us, and on March 15th, 1920, relying on his sure promise for those whom he sends forth, this note was written. Resolved together to accept all who offer, who are manifestly called of the Lord to join us, whether they have means or not. Soon after that time, out of 500 pounds sent to us, 221 pounds were lost in exchange. And even long before and even long, even, I'm sorry, and before long, even more. It seemed to drop into the sea on its way out. At the same time, the cost of living doubled. There were days when it seemed impossible to go on. The children were in faded garments that year instead of the usual cherry crimson and blue, and we ourselves did without everything we possibly could. May you obtain strength and support to walk in paths unworn at the edge of precipices where God alone can keep us in safety, Didon wrote from his prison in Karbara. How salutary such a walk must be to the soul, for look where one will, in books and in life, those unworn paths are trodden. Unworn? That is not a true word. Neither do we go far on any path of perplexity or pain without seeing the footsteps of him 
who is invisible, leading on before. Is it not always so? Has any spiritual fabric ever been built except upon invisible foundations? The steps of faith fall on the seeming void and find the rock beneath. But the rock is hardly ever seen till afterwards. Just when the step has to be taken, coils of blinding, smothering mist descend upon the path, and yet the word persists, and the foot that seems to step out on nothing finds rock. In the years that followed, we walked on rock. Beloved, should the brook run dry and should no visible supply gladden thine eyes, then wait to see God work a miracle for thee. Thou canst not want, for God has said he will supply his own with bread. His word is sure. Creative power will work for thee from hour to hour, and thou, with all faith's host, shall prove God's hand of power God's heart of love. Mark, that's from Margaret E. Barber. It was just then, before we had reached the rock, while we were, as any sensible person would have truly said, with one foot over the precipice, that we came to know that a sum of money, which had been kindly sent to us under a misapprehension, must be returned. It was a large sum to us. And we hardly knew how to do without it, but we had no liberty to keep it. It was twice returned by the secretary of the society, which had sent it to us as a grant. In the end, he accepted it. As you have apparently more money than you know what to do with. And we were clear of that entanglement. But so little was coming in just then that we found ourselves short of ready money for food. Stores had to be bought in large quantities for the sake of economy. Grain had to be bought in the same way. And because of the loss in exchange and the general difficulty of the time, we prayed for some ready money, money in rupees. The prayer was dated in our logbook, March 1st. And in our private letter book, there is a letter dated March 2nd from an old friend of the work who said, I smile as I write. I wanted to lie down, but something or someone said to me, No, you have put it off for two days. Go and do it at once. And she sent us 40 pounds in rupees. This gift tided us over the immediate need. Only once again during that year did a gift so large reach us in rupees. But our father had more for us than this. Under date April 30th, There is another note. Close the month with God's refund of the money paid to X, which meant that all bills were paid and there was as much over as we had returned. I think this incident is transparent, not because it shows our father's provision. It does that. But so does every day of every year. There is something different here. Only twice in 30 years of looking to him for our children have we been directed to return money, and each time the command came at a lean time, when to the natural man it looked like sheer folly. And after we had become willing, there was the inevitable voice in our ear, You will be misunderstood. 
but it was the voice of flesh. No one travels far on the road of faith without hearing another voice clearer, more austere. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Before me, not before Sarah. God knew whether Sarah did or not, just how things stood with us and our affairs were his. He did not tell us to explain things to anyone, but just to obey. And he himself knew what he would do. What he did, we shall tell later, to the glory of his name who never fails, the child who trusts him. That same year saw us born along in a new direction. We were awakened in the middle of a stifling night by a fresh burst of the thumping of tom-toms and the various noises of the demon worship that goes on all over this district on Tuesdays and Fridays from late evening till just before dawn. Presently, a cry pierced through the mad racket. At first, we thought it was the cry of the one who had received the aphelatus, but soon we distinguished a different note. There was a terror in it, like that of a tormented animal, and this cry lost itself in distracting wails. We could not listen and do nothing, so we got up and went to the village, passing the group around the fire with its gyrating worshippers and its tom-tom players, till, following that other sound, we found ourselves outside a barred door. We knocked, and after a minute's hesitation, for everyone knows that bad spirits can knock at doors at night, someone let us in. On the ground, in the middle of the courtyard, lay a young man tied with rope. A big man with a polished stick in his hands stood over him, thrashing him vigorously, while all around men and women stood awestruck and silent. They burst into speech now. They told us that the pig demon had seized the young man when he was a child. It often became violent, and now it was being beaten out of him. We told the big man, he was the boy's grandfather, to untie him, and he did so. Then we called upon the name of the Lord, and our Savior set, the poor lad free. We left the house in peace. On the other side of the mountains lived a Hindu priest, a seeker after God. A guru had told him that if he would gaze with the eyes of the mind very steadily on a great light, like the manifold lights which surround the image of the God in the inner shrine in the temple, he would see the world in its proper relation to eternal things and thus he would receive a vision of God. This sounded a possible way to find him, and so he sought to follow these directions, but was constantly pulled back by thoughts of the world and the things that are in the world, and he gave up, disheartened, that he could not find God. About this time, it was early October 1921, a man called Pilgrim, then an ardent young convert, was staying with him. One day a crowd of people in great excitement came to the door of the priest's house crying to him to hasten, for a demon had seized one of their clan, and he was needed to cast it out. He was an exorcist by profession, and often cast out demons, or attempted to do so, and he rose at once to go with them. Then Pilgrim stopped him, told him of the true God, and of Christ his Son, and of how he had cast out demons, 
and had empowered his servants to do the same. He was much struck by this, and he came to Donapur to hear more. It happened that just then the man from whom the demon had been cast out came to give thanks. He laid the big polished stick which his grandfather had used to beat the demon out of him on the low table at the end of the room, which we then used as a prayer room, and beside the stick he put the coil of stout rope that had been used to bind him. His grandfather had sent them, he said, and he raised his hands above his head. The Lord Jesus cast out the pig demon. To him be praise. The exorcist heard him and was greatly impressed. He returned soon afterwards to his own country and told what he had seen, and we heard too that he had confessed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. After that, many people came hearing that there was help for them. Some who were tormented by evil spirits came. We are telling a simple tale and are not careful to guard it even by words such as, or imagine themselves to be so. For though we know there can be deceptions and hysterical conditions which simulate the other, we believe that there is that other too. Many sick came, pitifully suffering people. They came at the time the children assembled for prayers, and we were all blessed and drawn into a new tenderness, a new awareness of the presence in our midst. Sometimes Hindus from distant places came to look and listen. I never imagined that he whom you worship was in the world today, said one, a government official, as he stood looking on. Others said the same. And soon there was a buzz of talk, and colored stories flew all over the countryside. A place of healing, miracles. Come, let us see, for still the multitude loves a spectacle. We searched our Bibles then to find our Lord's thought about this manner, and we read the scores of letters that came from the ends of the earth, each urging upon us some new view of divine healing. There was a day when we asked him, if he willed it so, to give us the gift, the charisma that had been in apostolic times. Would it not glorify his name? And what a joy it would be to see pain instantly relieved. For though we did see a putting forth of power, there was not anything comparable to the healing of the first century. The charisma was not given. Why was that most blessed gift not given in its fullness? Go, and the Holy One of Israel be thy guide to what may serve his glory best and spread his name great among the heathen round. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. Not our poor thoughts, but the counsels of the Holy One be our guide. And the story of how he guided us through the Green Valley shows another transparent in incident. And that's the end of chapter 33.